the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. George Brockler filling in for the great Peter Boyles right here on 710 KNUS. Just got wrapped up with a great segment talking about a guy kicked right in the pickleballs by the deputy park manager for Denver Parks and Rec. Uh, We are going to shift gears for the moment. I'm happy to revisit this, by the way, in the 9 o'clock. But there's something important that's happening Well, I guess it was an hour ago, and that was there was an update to a killer report that was issued by two incredibly smart, savvy, I'm going to say it, good-looking men who know a little bit about prosecution. And that report was about Colorado's crime tsunami. I want to just take a little uh, detour here and let you know that nobody will let me call it tsunami in writing, but on the air they can't stop me. It's a Colorado crime wave. You know it. You see it. You feel it. Hell, you may have been victimized by it. One of the things that was a shortcoming, just a temporary shortcoming of that previous report, was it didn't have complete data for 2021. We now have that data, and we're also pretty darn happy to have on the line with us one of the main movers of this report and someone who's wicked smart in the area and was the district attorney for, I believe, since 1920 out of Denver, Mitch Morrissey. Mitch, thanks for joining us on 710 KNUS. Uh, glad to be here. 1920, George. I can't remember. I, me, man. I, can't, I can't remember when it was, but it seems like you were DA for a while. Yeah, I was DA for 12 years in Denver. I worked in the office from 1983 to 2017. So now listen, you know, I had a lot of time there. You were, everybody knows you to be, by the way, a, a very, very strong advocate for victims, but also, and they may not know this because of the DA stuff, you were an incredibly skilled trial attorney. And I remember when you were a chief deputy under Bill Ritter, you would teach at the baby DA school. We called trial techniques one out at CDAC. And when I was in that program, and we won't say which year, you came out and did a presentation on some cases that you'd done, including a case where somebody had like cut up the victim and put them in tinfoil and a free or something like that. And I remember thinking, I want to be this dude in the courtroom. He gets the best cases and has the best stories. And I'm sorry that never happened. But nonetheless, I wanted to share that with you before we talk about this thing. Yeah, it was the Lori McLucky case. Uh, she stabbed her boyfriend about 30 times and then cut him up and spent about a week dispersing him throughout the Capitol Hill dumpsters. My it God. was quite a trial. Oh what and what a great memory, by the way, uh, that you have to know the case name. But for me, I mean, we're going back a handful of years. I remember vividly you doing that presentation. And I want to say you even brought like an ear in with you. No, I'm kidding. You uh, you had the yeah. pictures from the foil and the, the fridge or whatever else she did. It was a compelling case. Gruesome. It was yeah. a gruesome case. And now, uh, it was, you know. After that, and you did a billion trials, you end up becoming the elected DA for three terms, uh, and you left Uh office not because you wanted to, but because the Constitution and the law mandated it, so I appreciate you doing that. But since then, you and I teamed up with the Common Sense Institute, and this report and the update can be found at commonsenseinstituteco.org.org. 
to talk about really in a nonpartisan way. And we can talk about how some people have reacted to it, but in a nonpartisan way saying, what are we seeing? What are the numbers telling us? And we put out this report that got a ton of traction, a ton of feedback. We hope it got the policymakers' attention, but we were missing a component that we just filled in today at 7 by dropping this update. Can you tell us what are the big things that we discovered in putting all the 2021 data together that you think people ought to know about? Well, you know, it's a depressing report. Uh, it continues to show the trend in Colorado with this increase in crime, this crime wave, or like you like to call it a tsunami of crime. It just continued. And the costs of it are staggering. Uh, $31 billion. That's an incredible increase. The cost went up 12.9%. We used a well-known formula to determine the tangible and intangible costs. And I don't think people realize that crime in Colorado is costing the citizens, every single citizen, over $5,000 per person. Uh, the most, I think, devastating part of the report is that increase, 18% increase in murders across the state Incredible. of Colorado. Incredible. Incredible. Which is, George, and you know this, that is a record. That, unfortunately, is the highest numbers of murders in our state since they've been keeping track of these murders. We moved from fourth to second uh, in the United States in property crimes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we remain number one in auto thefts, and not only were we number one in 2020, but we went up by 33% in 2021. Auto thefts alone are costing the citizens of the state of Colorado one point. Three five billion billion dollars. <laughs> That's such big money. So it, it's a devastating report. Um, we you know we may get criticized on our numbers, that kind of thing, like we have in the past. It's pretty much anything the governor had to say about it. But what are your numbers? Because everybody out there knows that the crime rate in this state is out of hand. It's out of control. Here's the other thing: the the governor came out after our first report and said that the numbers were wonky or or something like that. But no matter how many times I asked him through the radio station or anybody uh, pitched him on it, they don't have alternative numbers. And even though you're right, there are folks out there who have criticized, nobody can come up with more accurate numbers than we have. What they try to come up with, though, are explanations for those answers that are different than what the, the data seems to suggest. The statistic that really concerned me, in addition to the ones you've highlighted, was that the single crime category, I'm reading from the report now, with the most significant impact on costs was rape. Rape. Yeah. The increased cost of Coloradans in reported rapes was that $1.6 billion or 46%. What in the world is going on out there? Well, George, you know that we looked at this, our first report, we wanted to see if this uh, wave was being driven by COVID. And we looked at the trends and it really wasn't. Where it really started to go up was 2014. The one crime that I believe was impacted by COVID, the shutdowns, no restaurants, no bars, no one going out was sexual assault. We saw a decrease in our first report. Right. But um, that has changed. You know, things are open for business again. And sexual assault is because of the impact on the victim, because of the life changing things that happen when a woman is sexually assaulted, when a child is sexually assaulted, they're expensive. The intangible costs there 
are very high. Those are impacts that have, you know, lifelong uh, costs. And so that's why you're seeing those big costs. So sexual assault now is on the rise, too. And uh, it has, you know, it has a big price tag, unfortunately. I hate to say that because, you know, when you're putting a price tag on the suffering of people, it's almost for me, that's hard to do because I've seen that suffering and I understand what that's about. And to put a monetary amount on that sometimes I think is almost insulting it to is. the victim. But yeah. we had to do it. And, and I mean, otherwise, how else do we get the attention of the people out there to realize what's happening in our state? You had been a champion under the Gold Dome as DA in testifying sometimes in contravention of CDAC, sometimes in contravention of other officials in Denver in advocating for tougher crimes where sentences were appropriate and fighting for victims. What are we seeing in your opinion, in your experience? And we're talking with Mitch Morrissey, the original M&M, the former district attorney from Denver. Uh, What is it, in your opinion, is leading to this spike, this crime tsunami? (laughs) Jesus, tsunami. I think I've combined two words. This it's salami and tsunami. <laughs> I, uh, this crime, this crime tsunami, Mitch. Well, George, I think there. You know, like I say, we looked at it, and uh, you know, I've talked with Chief Pays, and I've been on panels with him, and he really was the one that kind of directed me towards 2014, and and I looked at that. You know, of course, I was the DA at the time, and we were knocking the hell out of the property rate. Uh, property crimes, burglaries, uh, homicides were at an extreme low at the time. And then things were starting to trend up from there. And so when I left, some of the things that we had seen about decreasing crime had started to go back up. But, you know, that last three years, when you talk about going up to the legislature and, you know, speaking truth there and trying to keep them from doing things that were going to impact victims, were going to impact the crime rate, going to impact the cost to the people of Colorado, I found it extremely frustrating, George. We'd go up there and it just wouldn't listen to you. And you'd be talking common sense and you'd be talking about real life things. And they didn't seem to care. And and it, and it was both sides. I remember That's distinctly true. running a bill where one of the most conservative Republican senators said, I'm going to have to side with the ACLU on this, <laughs> Mr. Morrissey. You know, I believe that these convicted uh, misdemeanor sex offenders have a right to pop to uh, to privacy. And the woman next to me said, well, I'll do respect, Senator, but we they have lost their right to liberty. And you're concerned about their right to profit. We're talking about people that have been convicted and we should be taking their DNA and putting it in the DNA database. So they would unite, you know, both sides against common sense, good bills that would help keep the crime rate down. And I found it extremely frustrating. I ran that bill three years in a row. And uh, I think it just it just failed miserably every single year. You are right to point out the bipartisan nature of some of these bills that have led to this crime tsunami. And I think, Mitch, you are still D.A. I'm almost positive now. Do you remember back when uh, Supreme Court came back and said you can't do automatic life without parole for juvenile murderers who we prosecuted as an adult. 
And so there was an opportunity to downshift to our old model of going to 40 calendar years of prison. But the legislature, and this was a bipartisan effort, ended up going beyond that and saying, well, we'll do 40 years, but we'll give good time, earn time, and we're going to create a program that if you get accepted and complete it uh, within three years, you're presumed safe to be uh, paroled. Do you remember that? George, not only do I remember it, but then what I saw, what happened to the cases I tried as a chief deputy. I tried with Bill Ritter when he was a trial lawyer. The cases where uh, people got tortured to death, where two or three people got killed. I saw the abuse of that statute where they would reopen those cases and plea bargain them. So instead of doing what the Supreme Court said to reopen them and just determine the appropriate sentence, uh, they reopened them and pled these guys out to lesser offenses. I saw one that I tried with Bill Ritter where they completely dismissed a class one felony kidnapping where the victim survived. His cousin was murdered. Lord. And they got rid of that charge, completely dismissed it in a plea bargain. Now, I'm not sure that was happening anywhere else other than Denver, but it was a complete abuse of that statute. I know you commented on it at one point, but um, I found as the individual that tried those people, and those people were, they may have been young, but they were brutal. They were horrendous murderers. The murderers of Judge Spar's son, for instance, who tortured him for hours before they killed him, beat him in the head, stabbed him in the heart, why he begged for his life. You know, they reopen those cases and they give these people plea bargains. And there was nothing in the federal case law that said that should happen. There was nothing in that statute. Um, You know, Sean Linen's murderer. Yeah, police police officer officer, Sean Sean Linen. Don't do this, kid. Don't do this. And the guy shoots him in the head. He gets he gets a new deal. I mean, uh, that's the kind of thing that's been going on behind the scenes, and nobody's saying anything. And I remember, too, I think you were there, but we did that press conference in the AG's building, and the response, bipartisan response from the legislature was, the DAs are trying to bully us. They're trying to bully us into doing something that will hopefully maintain justice for convicted murderers, but hopefully try to deter others. And I'm not saying that bill in and of itself led here, but it's that kind of mentality that led here. And the other thing you remember, Mitch, is in 2014, the legislature started watering down the penalties for car theft. And so where are we today? We're number one. Number one in the We're country. Number one in crime theft, and it's and it's costing the people of this state one point three five billion dollars in just the last year. So um, that's a costly mistake. If that is the reason the car thefts are going through through the roof, I I really believe that if there's no consequences for that, and I don't think people really understand the root behind these auto thefts is a career criminal is going to steal a car and take it to commit the crime. Because what's one of the fastest ways to get caught? If you drive your own car, somebody can describe it That's and right. give the license plate. Right. So they steal a car to commit another bunch of felonies. So they steal a car, they pull a burglary, they commit felony theft while they're in the house. Hopefully there's no one there, so there's no kind of assault or uh, or sexual assault, but if there's no one home, they commit two or three felonies in the house, and then they steal the car from the house, and you've got five felonies. And these are the kind of offenders that we're concerned about. These are the kind of people that are not locked up in our state, but are 
out on PR bonds, are out on parole, are in community corrections and going and doing these kind of crimes daily. And that's why we're having this increase in this tsunami of crime. If you look at Colorado, the number of people that have been let out of the penitentiary, the number of people that are on PR bonds, there were over 5,000 individuals on PR bonds on the streets of Denver currently over the last two years. Those, and if they are violent offenders or repeat offenders, they are committing crimes every day. Mitch and people Morrissey, don't seem to understand that. I want to keep you on through a break, if you can say. I got more questions for you about this report and what's going on, but I also want to talk to you about a book that you have just, I think you just published it, right? Yeah, it's just, it's in the process of, of coming out in the last day or so. Well, yes. let, if you can hang on through a break, let's talk about that on the other side. Okay. All right. Thanks, George. That is Mitch Morrissey, former district attorney of Denver since circa Civil War. I'm not really sure. Uh, you also know Mitch by the fact that he has the best hair in all of prosecution and wicked smart on the DNA and the crime stuff. We're going to talk with him after a quick break here. Until that time, my name is George Brockler, filling in for the great Peter Boyles right here on 710 KNUS. Little ZZ Top here on 710 KNUS. George Brockler right back with you. Going to our VIP line, we're talking with Mitch Morrissey, former district attorney for Denver and co-author of a report, an updated report, that just posted to commonsenseinstituteco.org. That's .org this morning, about an hour and 21 minutes ago. And we're talking with Mitch about, I think one of the biggest takeaways is, you look at all, you listen to all these statistics and how we got five thousand dollars per coloradan is the estimated cost of the surge in crime that has taken place over these last 10 years resulting in last year 2021 a calculated 31 plus billion dollar impact negative impact to the state of colorado mitch thanks for coming back i I, one of the things i want to talk to you about is uh denver here has the biggest population no doubt about it and for that reason you would expect there to be bigger numbers but here's two things that jumped out at me Denver experienced the second highest increase in property crimes, 27% in 2021. And Denver led the state with the fastest growing rate of motor vehicle theft at 51%. What, what in your opinion, is going on that the rates, it's not the pure numbers, but the rates are increasing faster in Denver than elsewhere? You know, George, I think that the whole time I was DA, auto theft was a situation where I think it was almost 90% of the cars that were stolen in the whole state of Colorado were either stolen out of Denver or they ended up in Denver. So if they were stolen in Colorado Springs, they brought the stolen car to Denver. Denver, it's always been a situation where, you know, car theft has, has been a major problem. The idea, though, since 2014, to just see it increase and increase because I believe they reduce the penalties for auto theft. It's a minor, it's a very minor crime now. And it used to be if you sold a, a high volume value car, it was a pretty significant crime, but it's not that anymore. And so it's much easier to steal a car and commit another crime than it is to uh, 
to drive your own car and get caught. So uh, it's a major problem. The property crimes, you know, the sad thing is that when we started using DNA to solve property crimes in Denver, we actually were able to reduce burglary rate to all-time lows. And um, we proved that if you took multiple offenders, guys that were professional burglars, and you focused on them, and you made them plead to the charge, and they were getting sentences because they were habitual criminals of about 10 to 11 years on average, guess what happened to your burglary rate? It went down in Denver. It went down across the metropolitan area. We did that study with the National Institute of Justice. It's published. If somebody wants to read it, it's out there. And it works. So when you focus on criminals, career criminals, people that do it every day for a living, uh, you can impact the crime rate. Uh, Mitch, before we start talking about the book that you're just now about to publish, um, there is a connection here that I think gets largely ignored by the legislature and other policymakers between drugs and violent crime and even property crime. We've just seen a bill drop regarding fentanyl. Uh, talk to us about that connection and what needs to happen, in your opinion, to try to address the connection and, and diminish these things. Well, George, you know, I, I helped save the oldest drug court, one of the oldest drug courts in the nation, Denver's court that was set up by Bill Ritter. They were out of money. They were going to stop doing it. We were able to come up with the funding, able to keep it going. And I believe that a big reason why we were as successful as we were was that there was the stick. And the carrot and the carrot was you'd get out of this system and, you know, but the stick was that you were looking at a felony. You were looking at felony time. A lot of these people had been involved in the system for years, committing other crimes that were fueled by their addiction. And it gave us leverage to get those people clean and sober and out of the system. It was worthwhile and it worked. When you lose that leverage, when you make everything a misdemeanor, uh, I, a hardcore addict who commits crimes is going to say, hey, why should I go through that? Why should I bother? I'm going to just hopefully, you know, get a short jail sentence. I can serve that easily in county court, county jail, and be back out there doing the drugs, committing the crimes, and causing the problems that these horrible narcotics are, are causing our state. Mitch, tell us about the book you wrote. I imagine that people here are listening like this dude knows a ton of stuff and he's been and I build you, obviously, as being the D.A. since the Civil War. But you've written a yeah. book that tries to capture what the Denver D.A.'s office was and what it's become. Tell us about that book. Well, it's called uh, the Denver District Attorney's Office, A History of Crime in the Mile High City. And it actually goes from 1869 to, to 2021. And when the you talk term. about the D. One of the, I think, best characters that was ever a DA in Colorado or in uh, Denver was Merrick Rogers. He was a judge. He was a Civil War vet, law professor, state senator. Um, And unfortunately, late in his life, um, he uh, took a cigar and blew himself up. What? Um, He was he was dying. Uh, He was ill. And he's the kind of guy, you know, he took a down up in steamboat lit a cigar, smoking a cigar, and just kind of laid down on a stick of dynamite. But he was quite a well, character. Wait, on purpose? This wasn't like, what is that oh, yeah. thing bulging under he my pillow? Oh, okay. He All committed suicide. He committed suicide. But, you know, there, so the book's about the people that served as DA uh, from 
the beginning with Vincent Martin all the way through to the current district attorney of Denver. And what we tried to do is capture those real crime cases that happened in their eras that were sometimes nationally getting press. Uh, those trials, we, we tried to talk about the places uh, like the Palace Theater down on 15th and Blake, where they called it the slaughterhouse. A lot of people got killed down there. It was just wow. one of those one of those places. The Catholic priest that was killed in St. Elizabeth in 1908 by a uh, anarchist and captured by a off-duty Denver police officer who rose to the ranks later um, as he was running out after shooting uh, the priest, giving him communion. We talked about a lot of the murders of women that murdered sometimes incredibly good cases, but the all-men juries would walk oh, what? these women. Uh, the Klan, when they were in Colorado, and you talk about the DA from the 1920s, um, that was uh, Philip Van Sys. He fought the Klan. We talk about the different crimes that went on there. And then again, <laughs> Earl Wettinger, who got convicted of perjury, so he's the DA's a convicted felon, and the Supreme <laughs> Court let him serve out his uh, term without a law license. Well, hold on. Which did, I, did you just say Peters? Did you say Tina Peters? No, I'm sorry. Go on. Did I, we... <laughs> oh, I said Earl Wetton. Right, right. I just uh, misheard you. Yeah, yeah. I understand, George. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he got convicted of, of perjury in front of a grand jury and ended up— uh, you know, being able to serve out his term, lost his law license, and of course became a construction worker. So, you know, it, it's those kinds of stories. It's about the people that served in those positions and kind of how they've been lost to history. But we also, for real crime fans, we tried to hit the real crimes that have occurred in Denver that are peculiar or that are, you know, the first mass murder in Denver, um, the bad cops that were around. There was a police chief that, uh, you know, he was married and uh, went down to his mistress's house and the plumber was coming out. And he and the captain, who was his driver, uh, they beat up the guy. And this is the only time I've ever heard that the police chief fled town. They called him uh, third degree Delaney because of his tactics when it would he oh would use to goodness. get confessions out of people. Uh, he fled town. The captain got convicted. Pre-Miranda. Yeah, pretty yeah. Miranda. So it was totally and, on the up and up. A uh, little bit of force was used, I believe. <laughs> the DA had to dismiss a few of the cases where there were confessions. But that's the kind of thing we talked about. And obviously, some of the more famous cases, you know, John Gilbert Grant, who blew up his mother and 44 yeah, other, plane, or yeah. 43 other people in a United Air flight um, in the 60s. Bob Dylan who broke into a house in Denver and stole record albums, uh, Canned Heat in 1967, which they got arrested for narcotics in Denver. Oh, man, these and are all they, How big is this book? It sounds like an encyclopedia. It's, about, it's 300 pages or so. Well, um, how do we find it? If we want to go read this, and I do, how do we find it? Well, if you want to, if, it's obviously the ebook is out there on, you know, uh, Kindle, um, it's out, it's, um, you know, all the, all the different play outlets for ebooks. I'm not a big ebook guy, so I, I can't really tell you, but Barnes and Noble, I know they have it already. Um, so you can get the ebook now. Um, the published 
book is going to come out from Kindle Amazon. Nice. Uh, P.O.D. And uh, that should be available within 42 or 72 hours. You can order it. So it should be sometime this weekend. I know, like, my mom's going to want a uh, a real book, not an e-book, because she yeah, has ditto. trouble reading. Same. So reading things off of a computer. So we're going to have it available both ways. And I got to tell you, I wrote it with Norm Brisson. And I don't know if you know Norm, but he was one of those guys. He ran our office for years under Bill Ritter. Bill stole him from me, and he ran Bill's office up there in the governor's office. And I knew he always had, uh, you know, he always cared about the DA's office and the history of the DA's office. And I was just really lucky to to get him on board with me to do this so I could, you know, run my DNA. No, I get it. But we should have, Mitch, we should have you back on to talk about that, too. That's its own damn book is all the DNA stuff that you've solved. And some people have known that you've done it not just for Denver. You've solved crimes for me when I was DA in the 18th. Some of the stuff that we've done. I know you're still working with Kellner on some other things. But we're out of time, man. I know you have to go. I want to I want to be protective of your time as well. But uh, hey, George, just one thing. Yeah, congratulations. Sure. I listened to your first show. Um, and I just congratulate you on this oh, you. new profession that you've taken <laughs> off. You do a great job. I think there's a lot of people out there that appreciate your voice. Oh, and, you. Uh, you know, I love working with you. Um, thanks for getting me involved with the Common Sense oh. Institute. Great people. Really good studies, and uh, I think they do things that matter to people. I do, so thank too. You, George. Clearly driving the narrative. And Mitch Morrissey, congratulations, and thank you for being on with us for so long. We'll talk to you again about the book and the DNA stuff in the future, okay? Okay, thank you. All right, sir, take care. Hey, that was Mitch Morrissey. Great work on this report that you can find the update to it right now on Common Sense Institute, C-O, all one word, dot org. When we come back... What is going on with the criminal justice system? This was interesting. I hadn't planned on the pickleball thing feeding right into this. But here we are with the pickleball 71-year-old guy facing felony charges. You hear Mitch Morrissey talk about what's going on leading to this $5,000 per person tax, in essence, for a crime. What do we need to do to make this criminal justice system work? Your call is 303-696-1971. When we come back, until that time, George Brockler filling in for the great Peter Boyles right here. 710 KNUS. My goodness, I could use me some Michael McDonald every single morning here on 710 KNUS. I want that singing voice, and I think I have it in the shower, but nowhere else. George Brockler filling in for your great Peter Boyles here on 710 KNUS. My thanks to Mitch Morrissey, former district attorney for Denver, uh, who came on to talk to us about this great report at commonsenseinstituteco.org. That I mean, the big takeaways for me were $31 plus billion impact to the state of Colorado, which distills down into $5,000 for every Coloradan. That's you and me. That is a crazy amount of money to chalk up to the crime tsunami that has been building for the last 10 years. And, and now we're drowning in it right now. And it feels like what the legislature has offered us is uh, a brick not even a life preserver. Uh, And that's something that I want to talk to you about, especially in light of the fact that uh, we were talking earlier this morning. And I do think this feeds into the conversation about what's the criminal justice system here for? What should it be doing? Because on the one hand, you hear Mitch talk about the fact that we lead America. No state 
has a higher per capita rate of motor vehicle theft than we do, that we have a record increase in murders, the most murders ever that we have had. And yet you look to what's been taking place in Denver and we have a 71 year old man. And if you weren't with us in the last hour, let me just reset this real quick. And Billy's got some sound for it. 71 year old man who's a pickleballer. Uh, in fact, they call him the mayor of Pickletown, which I think is available on Paramount Plus. You can binge the whole series. Uh, mayor of Pickleball. And uh, he plays inside at a Denver Park and Rec's facility, rec facility. They have a hardwood floor there. He used a permanent marker to cover up some spacing or some lines or something. I wish I truly understood it. I've seen the pictures, but I'm not sure how it, how it works out. Um, that were blurry or faded or not helpful at all to the people that were playing pickleball. So he uses a permanent marker. And I presume it was after going to the staff and saying, what can be done? And they say nothing. And he says, I'm frustrated, uses permanent marker to do this thing. And then the staff sees that he does that. They're crazy raged. So they go and get some kind of solvent and end up in the process of trying to remove the permanent marker burn a hole or something, scratch a hole into the hardwood, and now want to tag him for $10,000. But if it were just the $10,000, you might say that's outrageous. Instead, they went right to the popo. They went right to the man, the police department, got them ginned up. Dude just turned himself in on a warrant for a felony of criminal mischief for causing $10,000. Great story on the air done by C.B. Cotton from KMGH7. That's the DenverChannel.com where you can find that thing. We have got a clip of it right now. Billy, is that thing ready to go? I think I can do it right here. Hang on. The whole pickleball community is really saddened and shocked. Jan Deaver's friend and fellow player, Arslan Gunay. He is what we call the mayor of pickleball. Loves the game, one that's a mix of tennis, racquetball, and ping pong. He usually plays indoors here at Denver's Central Park Recreation Center. But his future in the sport isn't clear after he received this email this week notifying him his Denver Parks and Rec membership had been suspended indefinitely because of this. Gune and others used the basketball court for pickleball. The lines needed for the game had faded, so Gune marked them with a sharpie. That led to his membership being suspended and an arrest warrant being issued for felony criminal mischief and claims of $10,000 in damages. This community is willing to um, remove the marks, hire a contractor to do it safely, uh, to apologize, to volunteer with the community. You got the gist of it. We will take calls at 303-696-1971. After this, we'll continue the conversation. Frank, everybody else on hold will get to you in a moment. Till that time, my name's George, filling in for a guy named Pete right here on 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.